Welcome to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I just wanted to take a moment and thank all of you for listening. I'm entering another year of the podcast, and I'm excited to share more and more um, information that I hope is really insightful on your healing journey. I feel really fortunate and blessed that I uh, got, have gotten to know a lot of leaders in the field of chronic illness, and my goal is to share that information with all of you. Um, I learn a lot from these conversations, and I try to bring this knowledge back into my practice and to share with the other doctors that I work with so we can help more patients. And I, I would love to just continue learning from you all. If there's somebody that you would like me to interview or if there's a topic that you think I should know about, please feel free to email me at info at drchristineschaffner.com. And please, if you're feeling open to writing a review, I would really appreciate it. Um, it helps me to share this information more and for me to learn how I can do a better job as well. Um, so we are starting the year off with a lot of great interviews. And um, again, I just wanted to say thank you. And I look forward to um, sharing more of my work and my community with you all this year. Welcome to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Dave O. Dr. Dave O and I have known each other for a number of years, and we often run into each other at different conferences. I've always admired Dave's uh, commitment to his patients, his integrity, his you know, search for knowledge as he tries to find more solutions for his patients. And, you know, we go through that journey today on the podcast and uh, we geek out a little bit on talking about ART and, you know, some of the tools that he's uh, brought into his practice and the results that he's seen. And I hope that you find this conversation um, informative and insightful. Dr. Dave O is a practicing physician in Atlanta, Georgia. He graduated cum laude in physics with distinction on all subjects from Cornell University, received his MD from the University of Miami School of Medicine, and completed his residency in internal medicine at Emory University School of Medicine in 1999. He's a board certified uh, physician with the American Board of Internal Medicine, and he's also certified in autonomic response testing, He's trained with the Institute of Functional Medicine. He studied with Dr. Simon Yu. He's a trained acupuncturist. He's also studied LDI and FSM. He's a certified practitioner with Dr. Shoemaker around the management of biotoxin illness. He's done a lot of coursework with ILADS and the Academy of Environmental Medicine, ACAM, and also Walter Crinian and the Academy of Comprehensive and Integrative Medicine as well. Um, as you can see, he never stops learning and he has quite the bio. Welcome, Dr. O. I'm so excited that you're on my podcast today. I'm happy to be here. Well, we have known each other throughout the years. Um, you are definitely familiar with Dr. Klinghart's work, and I know that we've seen each other at conferences, and we're really both on the front line of seeing a really challenging and unique patient population that keeps us um, really searching for more answers, you know, and uh, trying to make our treatments even more and more effective as we do this. So it's just really exciting for me to, you know, pick your brain today as a friend and colleague and for our audience to get to know you. I hope to, again, share something useful for you or our other people. Absolutely. I have no doubt that you will. And, um, you know, Dr. Dave O is a medical doctor. And I always think it's really intriguing when medical doctors, you know, come to this work, especially, you know, it's not just functional medicine or holistic medicine, but we're really practicing in an alternative medical, um, you know, field using um, biophysics and using different modalities. And how did you become from your come from being a conventionally trained medical doctor to doing the work that you do now? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, it's always funny that whenever I whenever I go to integrative conferences with other medical doctors, whenever you ask other doctors, how did you get into this? There's, there's really only a a couple of answers and almost due to a personal reason or something that affects the, the family and that certainly applies to to my case but my story goes back a lot further because both my parents are acupuncturists so i always knew there was a different way to treat people besides allopathic medicine and i, I grew up basically knowing that and also knew that since at 
uh, as a child that since doctors and scientists always said, oh, acupuncture can't work, but I knew that that wasn't true, I always questioned allopathic medicine. But my parents wanted me to be an allopathic doctor anyway, and that's, that's something I enjoyed doing. So uh, I certainly went into medicine. But uh, as a child, I had lots of health issues like asthma and allergies and digestive issues, dermatologic issues, trouble sleeping. And certainly my parents didn't really didn't bring me to the doctor too much. And I just wanted to get rid of all these things. Um, things really got bad probably around seven years ago. And I started to develop this mysterious syndrome of like pain in all my joints and tendons. I was almost as if I was getting fibromyalgia. And I thought that was really strange. And at that time, I was afraid I would have to quit medicine and go on disability. But uh, unfortunately, I had studied under Dr. Klinghart just in time to figure out the, the cause of all those things. So as part of my journey, I uh, starting, I guess, even during high school, I'd read lots of books on alternative medicine and kind of read, read the books, tried all the things that they recommended and really found it didn't work. <laughs> tried different diets and supplements and tried these cleanses, didn't really work. And I had traveled to see a few famous alternative doctors around the world. They tried their stuff and that really didn't work. So that's sort of my journey that lots of people have is they start to go into it and then then you got to try to find things that work so that's sort of i guess for me the the personal reason but also had my my family like my father had a lot of chronic medical issues a lot of issues with chronic fatigue and digestion i, I wanted to figure out what was going on there and just as important as this i wanted i was really curious about why my patients were sick so uh, I would notice that a lot of them would have lots of symptoms and really the medications really didn't help them very much. And that's just the, the reg, sort of the average patient. But then you have the, the outliers such as people with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and weird neurologic complaints. And there was absolutely little – there was nothing in allopathic medicine that could help any of those. So I was just really curious, well, why are they sick? How can I help them? So everything – all these reasons sort of – came together to, to, to get my interest into at least looking at alternative medicine. And I almost say, you know, going down the clean heart path is like an alternative to alternative medicine. It's even, it's even more cutting edge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you find Dr. Klinghart? Um, did it, it come about with your personal health journey? And I, I didn't know that about you, Dave, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing so well now. It sounds um, like you've yeah. been through your own really personal health it's, journey. It's been a journey. It's not something I share a lot about because the journey is not over yet. So I, I would like to talk more about it once I get to the end of the journey. But I definitely have made some good improvements. But, you know, there's still some additional questions that, that I have. But as far as learning about Dr. Klinghart, I was actually training uh, – uh, a learning field control therapy from uh, Dr. Yurkovsky, and there was a classmate who was like actually a close friend of Dr. Klinghart's, and I'd heard his name at that point, so I always kept his name in the back of my mind. So that's how I got started, and eventually mm-hmm. learned ART. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just to speak to your personal story, you know, sometimes you know we go through these personal experiences to learn. I mean, I know I have no doubt that it, your personal journey is only helping your patients more as you you know, or going through all the layers that we look at. And, um, you know, every year it seems like we're all learning a new layer <laughs> that we didn't, yeah. uh, you know, that we didn't know about. And so I think, um, you know, the, the story continues. And so, um, so as a lot of my audience knows, obviously that we have both trained with Dr. Klinghart and we use, um, a system called autonomic response testing. And this is a type of, um, for lack of a better word, applied kinesiology biofeedback exam where we get information um, that helps us find um, really, it, it's really a clinical tool, the, how we can really help not only um, figure out what's going on with the patient, but what treatment um, you know the patient will tolerate. And when we have these complex uh, cases, you know, we could spend one day with one patient, we were just saying, and, um, you know, there's so many places to start. There's so many things, um, to think about and ART really helps us to prioritize and distill this information. And, um, you know, I would just to love, um, I would just love to hear, you know, how, um, how has ART really influenced your practice of medicine at, at this stage of your, um, career? 
Uh, I would definitely say that ART has changed my practice of medicine completely. It just makes, uh, as you said, it, it helps to us to focus on what is or what are the multiple factors making someone sick and kind of honing in on the highest priority items and then trying to find treatments that are tolerated and are effective. My journey into an energy testing is kind of an interesting one as well because growing up with my parents, uh, I mean, in Chinese medicine, we know that they do, they've always done pulse and tongue diagnosis. And that was always very fascinating, although my parents really didn't know how to do it particularly well. And I never really learned it as part of my acupuncture training, but I was always fascinated by people who, who seem to be really masters of that. So I'm always curious about techniques like that. Uh, my first introduction to this sort of energy testing, uh, I was going to a conference uh, for medical doctors um, who practice acupuncture with the American Association of Medical Acupuncture, and I, I stumbled into his class on treating fibromyalgia, and the speaker was a medical doctor, and what he was using was the, the VAS, but he would use, measure, use pulse diagnosis to find out the exact uh, points on the ear to treat people. And he would go, I think he grabbed like 10 volunteers who had like back pain and just, and he found the exact points for all of them and all 10 people were better. So that definitely opened my eyes. Oh, a medical doctor can actually use some sort of energy testing in, in, in an effective manner. And over the years, I you know, first tried to learn leg length testing, but I really couldn't do that consistently. I took a class on EAV or electrodermal screening, bought the equipment, started poking fingers for a long and toes for a long time, but I could never get that to be consistent in my hands. And that's right. Well, maybe I do arm length testing. I even took a class on how to use a pendulum. <laughs> it was all pretty messy. And then finally, well, let me try ART. And that wasn't easy either. I mean, I really struggled with uh, just just doing the arm testing part. And part of it ended up was that my assistant, she had sort of a, a trick arm. <laughs> I finally figured out how to use it. And I was, I was so frustrated. I, and I really, really want to learn it. So I eventually decided I'm just going to bring a friend to take a class. And maybe if she learns how to do it, then she can teach me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So you know my, uh, my close friend, Terry Thompson Horn. That's how I brought her into the whole thing because I wanted her to, learn, her to learn how to do arm testing so she showed me how to do arm testing and it worked perfectly. She showed me how to do it. <laughs> you needed the right support, right? Exactly. And, and I think for a lot of people, it's, I mean, ART can be difficult to learn. It's just really handy to have somebody who can just show you some of the intricacies. So um, over the years, I've met people who are interested in learning ART and I'm always more than happy to kind of coach them and help them to, to learn how to do it because when done well, it just gives so much information. But kind of kind of going back to how it's changed my practice of medicine, I mean, we know that there are countless reasons why a person might be sick and they have lots of uh, different symptoms and we've gone to all these different conferences, all kinds of possibilities. But then the question is when someone walks into the door, well, what do they have? And over the years, I like trained in functional medicine, and in the past, I might run like five thousand dollars worth of tests, and you get all this information about this nutrient, that nutrient, this microbe, and from a practical standpoint, addressing those issues on labs just wasn't satisfying, and it really didn't necessarily help people. But with ART, we can really focus on which of those things are the most important, and will create the greatest change in a patient. So. Uh, I mean, when I first started going deeper into deeper into integrative medicine, I started to see more and more complicated patients from more and more people who've been to already 10, 20 other doctors. And it, at first, I'd be really terrified, like, well, where do I begin? What do I do? What can I think of? But now at this point, it's not a problem. If no one knows what's going on, I'll just use ART and I'll just see what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it takes the intimidation factor, you know, that a lot of these complex cases um, can obviously bring up. And, you know, when I, I think it's pretty common that people do ART, they attract those types of patients that don't get, you know, answers from um, conventional medicine or even 
you know, functional medicine or alternative medicine. And, um, and so, so yeah, no, I, I, I think, um, you know, one thing that I, that I wanted to touch on too, is that this system allows us to also discover new knowledge. Right. And so as we are, um, I kind of consider us as detectives and observers. Right. And so we learn, um, you know, through our patients, really what works and what doesn't. And, you know, when people are continue to struggle or you're dealing with hard cases, you know, you're forced to continue to bring up, um, you know, new questions and, you know, new um, theories. And, um, you know, that's where I think a lot of us connect on the innovative part of ART. And Dr. Klinger calls, calls it an open system that we can bring a lot of other knowledge to the system and, um, you know, um, see what works and what doesn't essentially. And so, um, so, I mean, and I guess maybe we just take a step back for our audience cause I don't want anyone to be lost to. So with ART, um, you know, again, it's, you know, you can take classes, um, you know, with Dr. Klinghart to learn it, but it's a, it's basically a way to look at, um, where there are primary stressors in the body and how to, um, alleviate those. And so we look and we do a scan of the body and we look at, you know, just different organ system stress. We look at if there's something called extracellular matrix stress, and that's where a lot of our toxicity lies. Um, we look at, um, you know, intracellular stress. So that's where a lot of the pathogens can, um, you know, lie. We look at, um, you know, we have different ways of assessing if different parasites or viruses or retroviruses or fungi or what did I miss? Bacteria, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I have uh-huh. I, I have a baby brain still. Um, so bacteria. Uh-huh. So we look at the you know really the Lyme and co-infections and um, you know other bacterial infections, and then we look at different toxins um, like heavy metals or glyphosate, and we kind of do this scan in a number of different ways and challenge the body and see where the stress is, what organs affected, and kind of really what people come out of that assessment is, is with a treatment plan. Um, and so I just wanted to um, not have anybody lost <laughs> when looking at that. And when um, what you made a great point in that a lot of, um, you know, that we're getting better and better with objective lab testing, but lab testing can be um, expensive. And it's often there's a ton of false negatives, especially when you're looking at pathogen stress, and it doesn't always lead to the right treatment. And so, um, you know, this tool I think has been really helpful. And then, um, you've really, you know, because of your, you know, your journey with your patients, you've been learning a lot of other modalities and integrating them with ART. And I would love for you to share, um, you know, those with us and especially, um, you know, there's two in particular, but why don't we start with, um, the use of lasers and what that looks like in treating patients who are chronically ill. Right. Okay. Uh, what you're probably referring to is the, the use of a device that I use called the laser cams. So uh, I guess just to back up a little bit, I, I, uh, I want to emphasize to the audience that ART is, is a tool that is an extension of the operator. So if the operator is a lousy doctor, they'll still get lousy results. It might, it might, they might get better results, but it won't turn a lousy doctor into a great doctor. It's no different than a lousy surgeon who has the most expensive scalpel and the most expensive robotic equipment in the world. If the operator is lousy, you get lousy results. But a very curious um, uh, clinician who asks lots of questions will get a lot better results. I think that's a great point to bring up. As far as the laser cams go, I'm what I want to do first is attempt to explain like the framework of my overall strategy of how I approach things. And I think that once I if I explain the framework clearly enough, then 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 describing what the, uh, the other treatments that I do will make make more sense. So uh, the first question that I that is always important to us is what is health to begin with. And one of the definitions that I've liked is, is the ability to adapt to challenges. So if one encounters a heavy metal, does the body deal with the heavy metal? If it encounters Borrelia, does it deal with Borrelia? And once it loses its ability to cope with those challenges, that's when illness begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I like that definition. I often yeah. say health is resilience, and I think that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, I got I got this definition from, I think, Between the Heaven and the, and the Earth. It's a classic book in Chinese medicine. So uh, one of the crucial pieces of this ability to adapt to challenges is basically a normal function of the body. 
And one of the things, I guess, when we think about normal function of the body, we don't think about communications very much. And in, in my work currently, I'm finding that communications between all the different parts of the body is really, really crucial. Mm-hmm. And if we look at uh, different traditions of medicine, such as uh, traditional Chinese medicine, like their philosophy is that health is based on the normal flow of energy or qi throughout the body. And I like to think about that as like the normal flow of communications throughout the body. And there are lots of other systems such as Ayurveda, uh, which has a similar philosophy. And Dr. Klinghart has a great uh, model of health, which he uh, calls the biophoton model. Um, I don't know if I can do justice to his model in just like 60 seconds or less. Speech, right? <laughs> yeah, I will attempt that. But and it, it basically the idea is that every cell in the body emits uh, biophotons, which is basically light. And if the cell is healthy, uh, these, these biophotons are basically uh, described as coherent, which is in, in a way of saying that it's in sync with the, the rest of the body. So when when the when these biophotons are in sync with the body, then uh, these basically these biophotons inform all the other cells in the body of what's going on. So every cell is talking to all the other cells with these with these biophotons. And as a cell becomes ill, the uh, biophotons start to lose their synchronicity with the rest of the body, and actually starts to lose communications. So uh, sometimes I like to use the analogy of an orchestra. So if an orchestra is in sync, uh, then every instrument is in tune. Not only is it in tune, every instrument is in sync with all the others. So as if one instrument starts to go out of tune or out of sync, that's uh, that's like a like a biophoton getting out of sync with the with the rest. And the reason why I like the idea of communications, I don't know if you've seen uh, Robert Navio's latest article on the cell danger response. It came out the last couple of months. Not the latest one, but um, I think it's a great point to bring up. the. I think it's a great model of this breakdown of communication, what happens, right, uh-huh. in the body. What, right, what, yeah. what is he talking about in his latest article? The latest article came out, uh, I think, last couple of months. Um, it, it's an extension of his cell danger response model, but he's actually talking about how the body heals from the cell danger response. And so and Dr. Navis is he's this brilliant uh, doctor and scientist from the University of California in San Diego, and he's done a lot of pioneering work on what he calls the cell danger response, which uh, he looks he looks at um, what happens at a molecular biological level when trauma or toxicity or infection strikes a cell and and there's a stereotypical response and what happens to uh, tissues or organs when it becomes ill and he did his description it actually disconnects from the rest of the body it actually disconnects from the autonomic nervous system and disconnects from the endocrine system and as part of the healing process he says you have these so it's, it's almost like cancer where cancer grows on its own and the body can't control it anymore. And in the same, in the same way, uh, tissues or organs that are undergoing the cell danger response sort of have a life of their own and they're sort of off on their own to try to repair themselves. But in the final step of healing, in order to have healing, these tissues have to reconnect to the autonomic nervous system, have to reconnect to the endocrine system. Which is why, so this is a big reason why I really like the uh, the communications idea in the process. Yeah, no, that's that's. I'm I'm really glad you're sharing this. This is all, um, you know, such poignant information. So um, I won't interrupt you, but I, I think this is great. Yeah, I'll go ahead. And, I'll send a copy of that article to you, and I think uh, you and Dr. Klinghart will will find it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'll read it on the break. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, uh, I've talked a little bit about the, uh, the cell danger response. So in, in a way, so since Dr. Nabio is describing uh, a tissue that's undergoing the cell danger response is basically disconnected from the rest of the body, this is almost, this is, uh, to me, it's exactly the same thing as an area of the body that is uh, not producing these healthy biophotons. Um, and, and, and sort of in tra- traditional Chinese medicine, you, you might say that these areas have abnormal qi as well. But another another model that I, I like to kind of bring into this is the the concept of interference fields. Um, this was 
first uh, developed about almost 100 years ago in Germany. And uh, tactically, uh, there are areas uh, or cells that have an abnormal cell membrane potential. So in a healthy cell, it needs to have a more negative uh, voltage inside the cell compared to the outside of the cell. And this voltage gradient is crucial because this voltage gradient is what helps the mitochondria to generate ATP. And if the cell membrane potential, the voltage is not, negative voltage is not maintained, then there's a, uh, there's, the cells lose their ability to generate oxygen and they start to generate less ATP. And as a result, these cells have less nutrient uptake and they start to, they lose their ability to get rid of toxins. And if you look at Dr. Nabio's model of the cell danger response, he describes basically exactly the same thing. The voltage starts to change, ATP starts to drop, oxygen consumption starts to drop, and nutrient uptake also decreases. So in a, in a way, I've, been, I've wondered for a couple of years if the cell danger response was the same uh, as an interference field. And me, they are. So in Dr. Nabio's model, the main things that cause a change in this voltage gradient is trauma, which can be either physical or emotional, and toxins, infections, and, and many other things. And what's really nice about ART, it's one of its primary goals is to identify interference fields. Uh, so it's really geared towards looking these, for these areas of uh, abnormal cell membrane potential. And you know, sometimes I tell my patients when I'm able, when I'm doing ART, I'm, I'm looking for cells that aren't consuming oxygen properly or not generating ATP or cells that aren't detoxifying properly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to uh, frame it uh, for the patient. And I think that that's part of why, um, you know, people do get really good with results with ART too. We kind of identify uh, the interference fields, treat them, and then the body can um, start communicating better um, you know, to us, right in the system. And so, um, so yeah, I think it's a huge part and for, um, you know, and I'm sure you're going to share with this, um, with our audience too, the, you know, interference fields can be scars. They can be, um, you know, dental infections. They can be just areas of trauma, you know, in the body, um, a metal implant that you might have, um, from, you know, a hernia surgery or, um, you know, these types of things. Right, right. And, and so now, now with Dr. Nabio's latest paper, I sometimes tell people I'm, just, I'm looking for areas that aren't communicating with the rest of the body. All right. So hopefully now I've got, sort of got this framework developed. Now I can talk a little bit about the laser cams. Um, so this is a device created by uh, Dr. Crosby, um, Charles Crosby. I think he's an osteopath in Orlando, and he, he developed, he created this device and named it after himself called Crosby Advanced Medical Systems, which is why it's called CAMS. And his primary purpose of this device is to actually correct interference fields, which I've been talking about for the last couple of minutes. I first heard about it um, at a conference, and another doctor told me that uh, someone wrote a textbook of neural therapy. And within the textbook, there's uh, talks about how to use procaine to treat all kinds of interference fields. But in the last three paragraphs, the author says that he doesn't even use procaine anymore. He just uses the cams. And, and that was really intriguing to me since uh, I mean, for the audience, most of them aren't familiar with what neural therapy is. This was a therapy developed in Germany nearly 100 years ago where they primarily inject anesthetics, primarily procaine, into interference fields, which you had mentioned includes things like scars or autonomic ganglia or even into uh, teeth that are, are affecting the system. So, yeah, as this doctor, uh, the, the author of the neurotherapy textbook says, like 99.9% .9 of the time, he just uses the device instead of procaine. And in classic neural therapy, some of the injections are extremely difficult, and sometimes they, they use very they look can look very frightening, like using three inch needles to go into the pelvis or things like that. And I and I, I never had the nerve to even try that. Then I heard about this device, like well, instead of uh, doing it using a three inch needle into the pelvis, I could just use this device and get very similar results. 
So this device is based on it's uh, it's, it's almost like a form of gemstone therapy. Um, it uses a a special type of quartz that resonates with the Schumann frequency. So Dr. Crosby picks these stones and tests them to make sure that they have the right resonance. And then uh, with this device, it, it's pulsed with a low-power laser also at the Schumann frequency. So, it, And can so you tell people what the Schumann frequency is in case they don't know um, right, what that is? It, it's the natural frequency of the Earth. Uh, if you look, actually look at the frequency of lightning strikes uh, around the planet, it's around 8 hertz or 8 times per, per second. Uh, it's a frequency that people, that actually people need to survive properly. Um, when NASA first started sending astronauts uh, into outer space, they did not know about the Schumann frequency and and uh, the astronauts would get quite ill until they started putting uh, Schumann frequency generators uh, into the spacecraft to sort of recreate the, the frequency that they're uh, exposed to while on the, on the ground. So this quartz, for some reason, it's not really clear how it does, but it, it seems to correct interference fields, and it works almost identically to, to Procam. The other, the other aspect of the laser cam device is that it uses a blue wavelength, that a very specific wavelength that Dr. Crosby says the literature shows is antimicrobial. So because of that, um, the same author of the neurotherapy textbook uh, has used it for dental cavitations, and he has said that he's gotten like over a 90% success rate with clearing cavitations by using this device which is another reason why I was uh, very interested in the device. Uh, in my practice, I have basically found the very similar results that if, I, if someone has a cavitation, which is sort of an infection in the jawbone, often where a wisdom tooth was extracted or where a root canal is placed, in, in the past, uh, the, the standard treatment would be to send them to a dentist to get ozone injections or perhaps to get surgery. And I found in a lot of cases uh, I can have the patient avoid surgery or even avoid ozone therapy with the device. At the same time, in a couple of cases where I still had to send them surgery anyway because you know sometimes they're just too severe and they need to have more aggressive intervention. How many treatments can you um, have you seen? Um that are needed with uh, the laser and cavitations. That's great. I mean, hey, if you're sparing people from three-inch needles and surgery, <laughs> you know this is you know this is huge, right? Exactly. Uh, is that how many treatments? I mean, typically it takes. Um, I found anywhere between six to eight treatments is usually sufficient, and if it doesn't clear it, then they need to have more aggressive therapy. Typically, so that's device, and I I, I use it to correct interfield, interference fields on almost everybody. Um, it definitely seems to accelerate the healing process and keeps them from having, let's say, die-off reactions and adverse effects to, to other treatments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and, um, you know, there's a lot of talk, I think, now more than there has been in a long time about photobiomodulation or using uh, light as a, a, a treatment. And I think the CAMS laser is obviously very... Um, unique and effective way to use light to restore communication in the body, but there are more and more tools around um, either infrared or LED light. Um, there's actually a conference coming up in February I'm going to go to. We're looking at getting um, the Weber medical laser with the yeah. IV, um, right. I mean, IV biophoton therapy. And so, um, you know, I, I think when people are really um, on the cutting edge of this, they think I've heard a couple of people say, you know, light is the future of medicine and how our bodies really respond you know, well to this uh, technique and, um, it, and it's um, relatively, you know, non-invasive and, you know, pain-free and, you know, all of these things that we want, you know, for patients. So I, I know you've educated us a lot about the laser and I am, um, we use, you know, different types of laser in the office right now, but I keep coming back to wanting to dive deeper um, into the cams, especially for, you know, a lot of our patients who've been sick for a long time, they get um, needle fatigue. They're sick of needles. They're sick of getting injected. They're sick of, you know, um, you know, having to go through that. So it, this seems like a gentler, but very, um, powerful treatment. 
Right. It's a fantastic alternative. I mean, it's definitely, uh, for my patients, uh, the first line before you know injecting with procaine. I haven't needed to inject any procaine since I've gotten my device. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And do you find that um, people need to do anything at home to keep up the results or it's just the treatment in the office, um, you know, keeps them going? Well, as far as like treating things like scars, it tends to uh, to work long term. But I, I definitely noticed that some people their scars never really clear, and it doesn't matter whether I use the laser cams or whether I use procaine. It's it's it just keeps interfering with their function, and that that to me is always represented that there's something else underlying that needs to be taken care of. But no, no, I haven't had patients do anything in particular at home to to maintain the results. I mean, that's great. And how many years have you been using the laser now? That's been about, uh, I'd say about two years now. Well, no, I appreciate that's a great, um, you know, the framework you shared with us and then your experience. I want people to, you know, know about this, especially if, um, you know, they know that they have interference fields, but maybe want another approach um, other than neural therapy. I think this is great. Um, and, you know, Dave, we, we talked also about, you know, switching gears here, talking about, um, your kind of new exploration into biomagnetism and incorporating that into your treatment plans. And I guess if you want to set the stage about, you know, really what biomagnetism is and then how you've been using it, um, you know, in your treatments, I, I'd love to learn from you more. Yeah, this has been the uh, most exciting part of my year is uh, when I first started working with magnets and then uh, kind of expanding from there. So just kind of give a background. Uh, biomagnetism is, is a form of therapy where uh, the practitioners put magnets onto the body, but they always, the, the magnets are usually placed, they're always placed in pairs. The idea is, is when uh, illness develops, uh, acidity might develop in one particular body, in one part of the body. But, on, but in order to maintain the overall pH, an alkaline area has to develop as well. So illness always happens in, in, a, in a sense, a complementary pair. So uh, magnet, one magnet is put on a, the acidic part, and another magnet is put on the alkaline part, and that sort of corrects things. So uh, it was developed uh, by a medical doctor in Mexico, Dr. Isaac Goitz, and the legend has it that he uh, took a class from a NASA scientist who was talking about the use of magnets on astronauts returning from outer space. And... Uh, just you know, the scientists talked about how it seemed to change their what appeared uh, the, the their, the length of their legs or their arms. So you know, after the class, Dr. Goitz uh, in his practice went. To his first patient was a terminal AIDS patient who basically at, the, at that time, this is back in 1988 or so, there was really no other treatment options. And Dr. Goitz go, hey, I just learned about magnets at this class. Maybe you don't mind. Uh, I'll just put a couple magnets on you and then see what happens. So he, he put mover magnet around on his body until he saw a leg length change. He was basically doing energetic testing with, with leg length testing. And then he then put a second magnet on that corrected the leg length. And uh, he left it on for like 10 minutes or so. And he told the patient, you know, come back in a week, figuring eh, nothing's going to happen, but let's make sure you don't like make him sick. Or, and and actually, wasn't even sure he would get him come back alive the following week because this he was so end stage. And it turned out, patient came back the next week and said he felt a lot better, and he was quite shocked by this. And the story is that this patient is still alive twenty five years later. Oh wow! And so, so then he just basically from that point he started experimenting uh, with magnets on a wide variety of medical conditions uh, such as infections and there's more than HIV and the list of indications is huge they, they seem to almost treat anything with um, biomagnetism and because he's Mexican most of the practitioners are Spanish speaking and so there are actually nearly 30,000 practitioners in Latin America and Spain who practice biomagnetism. And so, you know, now it's starting to trickle into non-Spanish speaking countries such as the U.S. Um, you probably heard that uh, biomagnetism can be helpful in chronic Lyme cases. Um, talking with most people, it sounds like it takes a few dozen treatments to stabilize the typical chronic Lyme patient. Um, in my experience, it's 
I found it to be, actually be uh, additive to what I was doing with the laser cams. Uh, I definitely found it very supportive, and I don't know that it necessarily um, can resolve a chronic Lyme case completely, but it can definitely, definitely help. But what I was really, really interested in was Limestop, which you have heard is uh, developed by a chiropractor in Idaho. And there, he reports that he's treated like over 4,000 uh, chronic Lyme cases just by putting magnets. And he says like with five treatments over about two days, something like three quarters of the patients are almost symptom free within three months. And I believe that's what he's what he said. That's it's it sounds almost unbelievable. So, but I was fascinated. Like, can you? Is this really possible? Can you just use magnets and resolve such a challenging uh, clinical condition? So, and I guess another challenge is that he doesn't actually teach it. But uh, the, he teaches a class called the craniobotic technique, or abbreviated as CBT, not to be confused with cognitive behavioral therapy. So a couple months ago, I went up to Idaho to take his class on uh, the craniobotic technique, so the uh, or, or CBT, and this is basically the system that he had before Lyme stop. It was a system that he was using to help uh, patients recover from viruses, parasites, bacteria, and fungi, and also uh, also helps with allergies such as food and airborne allergies. And it actually is a part of Lyme stop because you can't clear someone of chronic Lyme unless you take care of the viruses, parasites, bacteria, and fungi. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, if, if I just learned to take care of those things or maybe I just take care of food allergies, that would be great on its own. But I went in pretty skeptical. I just could not possibly. I was even talking with Scott Forsgren. He's like, how can there be like specific points? You have a parasite. How can this parasite point show up? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turns out, you know, I, I went in with the skepticism. I thought, I'm going to use ART. I want to, like, either debunk this or prove this. One way or the other. determined. I was trying to figure out what's going on. So then after the class, uh, I went back to my office, and I, I found that when a patient has a virus, their virus reflex point lights up. If they have a parasite, their parasite reflex point shows up. And I do it the other way around. If I uh, find a bacteria reflex point, I would find a, a bacteria. So I was pretty convinced at that point that these reflex points actually exist. And then with my background in acupuncture, it's not terribly hard to believe because if someone has, say, back pain, there are specific reflex points or acupuncture points for back pain or neck pain or headaches. It just In acupuncture, they don't teach that, oh, if you have the virus, then you might use such and such a point. Although they do have, there is acupuncture for infections, but not specific infections. So it was it was plausible enough for me. So even even though these reflex points existed, my next question: Well, is it really going to help the immune system enough to help people without antimicrobial? I should point out with Lyme Stop, Doctor Smith doesn't give anyone antimicrobials. He says he just said you just do these treatments, you stop your antibiotics and and herbs, and in most cases you'll get well. And in working with my patients, uh, let's say you know I find a parasites or, or 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 yeast, and I find that they my test for Diflucan, which is a prescription antifungal, most of the time after I do CBT, they no longer test for the Diflucan. So then I eventually would have some patients, you know, I get kind of nervous, like I can't believe this possibly could could work. So I would bring them in like a week just to make sure they really didn't need Diflucan, and sure enough, they didn't. And I would find no evidence of the yeast anymore. Uh, I should also point out some people, their, their microbial load is so high that they still need antimicrobial. Just, I'm just finding that people need way less mm-hmm. than that. And that's what we all want. For I mean, you know, I know as practitioners, we all, um, you know, especially in this patient population, they take so many supplements. And it's, you know, how can we make that easier for people? So I'm so glad that's been your experience. Yeah, I have found that uh, through the work of using combining the laser cams and CBT and the other things I'm doing, the number of supplements that I'm now recommending is drastically reduced compared to even a year or two ago. I mean, it's it's almost kind of strange that it's just barely use any supplements at all. Yet they're actually making very very good improvements. 
So the next step was, okay, uh, I'm really happy with CVT. Um, but Dr. Smith, he has no plans to teach Limestop in the near future. He's taught one person, uh, but he has no plans, immediate plans, at least in the next year or two that I can tell. I was wondering, hmm, what if I could figure out the reflex points for Lyme and their co-infections using ART? And uh, that was my next challenge. So with the help of uh, some energetically sensitive friends, such as Terry, who I mentioned earlier, we systematically found uh, Lyme patients, which are not hard to find in our practice. And we, sure enough, we determined uh, the reflex points for all the Lyme and co-infections. And in the process, we found reflex points for mycotoxins, retroviruses, and EMFs. I would say with EMFs, I really didn't discover the, the reflex point. That's been known by all of us for a very long time. It's actually the spring ligament. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So you confirmed that. Um, what about, so have you been able to match what you found with what Dr. Smith's findings are or um, haven't gotten there yet? In terms of are people recovering by uh, or these? do you have the same reflex points as what maybe for his reflex for, um, points for Lyme and co-infections that he uses with Lyme stop? Do they match the um, reflex points that you found? Right, he hasn't taught Lyme stop, so nobody knows what the points are. So I have no reference. I I don't know. We'd have to ask a patient, right? You know, maybe well, it's been there. You know? have to. <laughs> um, I actually did ask a patient once, and it looks. It does actually look pretty close. Oh, but, cool. I know Tony. Uh, I, I'm, you know, it would be nice if he, um, I, I think that would be, you know, how um, validating, right? If, um, you know, for him, you know, if the points line up um, very similarly to what you're finding, right? Mm-hmm. So now that you've found them, how, how are you integrating them um, into the, um, the treatment? Well, basically, at this point, uh, when a patient comes in, I I basically look. Well, I, I should kind of back up a little. All these reflex points are actually interference fields. Mm. It turns out uh, the trick is that with normal ART scanning, they don't necessarily show up. So sometimes they have to be physically compressed to show up, and sometimes I'll use a, a laser cams to kind of provoke them to come out of hiding. Uh, I'm still working on trying to figure out all the best ways to try to get them to show up because I've discovered a lot of these reflex points or a lot of interference fields are, are hidden by the body because it's almost as if it's almost too embarrassed to show where they are. So I'm just working on new ways to, to get them to show up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thought. And that is, I mean, I see that sometimes and, um, you know, we're using other provocation tools, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, there's so much there that you don't find on the surface, right? Um, because yeah. of these, you know, hidden interference fields or hidden infections that um, need to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically what I'm doing with my patients is uh, I'll first try to identify all their interference fields. And if I recognize them as a reflex point, uh, for say for a microbe, I'll verify with ART that it does it corresponds to the microbe. At the same time, I continue my ART scan for microbes separately. And if I find a microbe and I don't find a corresponding reflux point, I'll then search for the reflux point. Hmm. And I, I'm finding the more more work that I'm doing that uh, some people just don't have. A, a standard CBT reflex point or, or don't even necessarily match uh, what I think are probably the Lyme stop points. There are some, and some people, particularly the more complicated ones, there's the points almost seem to be random. But uh, like even today, I, I think I saw someone with uh, Babesia and Borrelia and the reflex points for those were not in the usual place. They were in a, com- a completely different location. But I go with that, and I, and, and I will I will say that I think that is perhaps one of the limitations of Lyme stop is a saying that oh the Lyme points are just here, or the Babesia points are just here, and the Barnell points are just here. Uh, in my experience, they can be they are mostly located there, but uh, in some people they're located in a different place, and I think we get much better. I, I definitely find I get much better results if I can just find those reflex points. Uh, based on the individual instead of going by a fixed map that gets much much better results 
Yeah, that is a good point. And that brings in, you know, even though within these systems, right, there's individual differences. And if, um, you know, you're curious enough to, you know, figure that out, the body will show you it. And no, that's, um, no, that's really interesting. I'm going to definitely pick your brain more. Dave, are you going to be teaching this once you get the system down? (laughs) Uh, Possibly. I mean, I think at this point, I know one has to be like really good at ART first. I don't think you can just uh, do regular muscle testing. I mean, even though that's, that's what happens in CBT, because some reflex points don't show up with regular muscle testing. You actually have to use ART to, to find those. And sometimes, as I mentioned, sometimes other things have to be used to, to get these points to, to show up. But yeah, I would love to kind of share this. Uh, my Probably my initial plan is to just kind of share this with uh, people who have taken the CBD class because I think having that background is really important as well. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exciting. And, you know, um, you know it, it just shows just even with these um, modalities you've walked us, um, you know, through how, um, you know, your practice of medicine is continually evolving. And as it evolves, um, so does your, you know, your patient's results, um, they get better and better, which is, which is great. I mean, I think, um, you know, that's the goal, right? I will say that I guess sort of in my process of working with my patients, I, I, I think if people have, a lot of people have what I might call custom or personal reflex points, they're just unique to their individual needs. And a lot of times, I don't even know what these reflex points do. I just know they're there. And I treat them, and patients seem to get uh, a lot better. Mm-hmm. And do they have to treat them at home, too, or are they kind of... Uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, with parasites or candida and uh, CBT, it is recommended that they do continuous uh, home treatments. It's very easy to teach. It's not exactly the same treatment. Uh, as what's done in the office, but it's a modified version that patients can can do at home. Um, I'll also say that one of the things, well, the, what, the way the system works is there are basically three points that are held during the treatment. One is the actual reflex point. Mm-hmm. The other is um, where the microbe actually lives. So let's say you have Borrelia in the spinal cord. You would put one hand or magnet over the Borrelia reflex point, you put her, then you kind of use a hand and touch the entire spinal cord. And then there's a third, and then the third spot is the brain has to be held as well. So there are three areas that are held at the same time. And in Dr. Smith's working model, he believes that what happens is uh, basically bring the brain's attention to, to the microbial infection. And then that stimulates the brain to ask the immune system to do something about the issue. So in a way, it's kind of going back to the communications theory of Dr. Navio, it restores good communications of those areas back to the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bringing the body back online so it actually can um, clear the infection, right? Um, it, right. it sees mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes that's all it needs to clear it. It doesn't need necessarily heavy-duty antimicrobials. It just needs to know, oh, I forgot them. So it's as if the body forgets about it. And that, but that's what happens in the, the cell danger response, it, that those sick tissues are disconnected from the body, and after a while, the body just forgets that's even there. And if you re-engage the system, then things can get better. And I also should also, I'll also also mention that in CBT, the other, one of the other important parts of it is the desensitization to foods and airborne allergens. Uh, according to Tony Smith, in a single, basic five or 10 second treatment, a sensitivity to food can be completely eliminated. Wow. Which is again, at, at first glance, unbelievable. So, and so Dr. Smith said, yeah, I mean, if, if, if he says if allergy ever comes back, he'll treat it again for free. Wow. So, and in my own personal case, I've had probably dozens of food allergies for a number of years. Um, I had um, done LDA or low dose antigen therapy for probably a couple of years and it really did, it just hasn't helped me that much. So I finally just, and again, that was one of the main reasons why I want to take the class. Well, maybe I can take care of my food allergies. So I did the treatment for my food allergies, and then slowly I started introducing all the foods I was allergic to. And sure enough, I have no reactions. Wow. 
been it's been astounding. Um, I'm I'm definitely impressed with that part. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's incredible. Hey, you know, you see, Doctor Dave O. You don't get needles. You know, you can eat your food allergies, right? And yep. <laughs> you know, um, which is great, right? It's um, yeah. You know, it's that's certainly what, still early on. Yeah. I don't really know how long it's going to hold, but it's looking extremely impressive. And and then so then I'm. Based on that, I I thought, well, you know, you've heard of Nate or Nutribod. Yeah, that's what what this reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, you know, in their system, you can only do one food per 25 hours. And there's a whole there's a whole protocol where you got to clear sulfur. I mean, I I've never taken a class, so I may be misspeaking, but there are lots of things that clear sorts of different vitamins. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in, in CBT, you can, I've done two dozen foods in 10 minutes and it, it, it seems to work but then i've expanded it uh, beyond that because in nate they'll try they but they'll do things like desensitize to vitamin d so i had a patient the other day who had a very very low vitamin d level but in art they never tested for vitamin d mm-hmm. when i looked further the body was actually allergic to vitamin d so i did a cbt desensitization and then after a few minutes, all of a sudden the body wanted vitamin D. Have you and seen people with, um, with like who are potentially allergic to their own hormones? Have you looked at it in that I way? I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had a couple people uh, who appear to be allergic to estradiol, which is a form of estrogen. So I've done desensitization to that. And I'm, I don't have follow-up on, on what happens with those cases. Um, I've had, like you, I have lots of cases of mast cell activation syndrome. And what I'm finding is an allergy to histamine quite frequently. Mm. So I've been working on desensitizing to histamine. The last couple of days, I've been um, noticing that a lot of those folks have an allergy to prostaglandins. So trying to do, trying to desensitize to prostaglandins as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And I've also found a bunch of reflex points that. Uh, I often find with mast cell activation syndrome. So I'm hoping all those things will, will be helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that. I mean, I feel like there's an increasing um, number of patients who fit in that model of just ha- such heightened sensitivity and such, um, you know, which makes them challenging to treat. So having, um, you know, these non pharmaceutical or non, um, you know, chemical tools are, are really, really important for these types of patients. Right. And it's very, very hard to treat. These these patients react to supplements. They react to, like, even drinking water uh, and you know, almost all foods. It's very, very tough. And I, I haven't necessarily found that antihistamines or, or natural antihistamines are all that helpful. So I was looking for ways to try to correct that issue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no it seems like um you know you're on to a lot of new you know discoveries we're gonna have to you know stay in touch um around you know what you continue to see as your um as your system you know unfolds as well um so dave let's um you know, I would love to know, I mean, I've already really, I mean, you've already shared this, but I, I love to ask, you know, the people that I interview kind of really, what are you um, most excited about now in, in your practice of medicine? And it sounds like biomagnetism, but if you want to, um, you know, share more about what is exciting you at the moment. Yeah, the most exciting thing is sort of my, what I call the spinoff of of CBT and seeing where it goes. I mean, I, I've been describing like experimenting, just experimenting with well, what things can I do? Can can I do to help with mast cell activation syndrome? What can I do with, you know, let's say, if someone's allergic to hormones or allergic to vitamins? Um, I'm always every day. I'm discovering new reflex points. I'm trying to understand what they do. Um, and and it's, it's I never with every patient. I never know what I'm going to find. And when I when they come back, they're their ART readings are just drastically different than the last time I saw them. Um, and in the six years or so that I've been doing ART, I just haven't seen such dramatic changes in, in, the, in the patterns that I'm finding. So it's an exciting time of development, exciting time to see uh, how people respond. I've, def- I've definitely seen lots of people who I've worked on for years and they've been stuck and finally they're moving forward. 
Um, and that's, 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 what, that's all our challenge. We always have these few people that are just stuck. And what can we do to finally help them? And this, this so far has been a really important part for helping a lot of my stubborn cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, how rewarding, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then um, I know that through this system, you have a lot of, you know, questions that you're asking, but just, um, you know, is there anything really that you wish, especially if like we were talking this time, you know, next year, you know, that you really, um, any questions that you had the, you know, answers to as far as what are the most, you know, what might be the most um you know, rate limiting step or roadblock you see right now in in uh, your your practice. Right. Um. That's sort of. I think it's always what I do. What do I do with a case that's not moving? Why are they stuck? And so, I mean, what, in other words, what do I not know? <laughs> right. Right. What's the What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. I always get excited with the latest things like mast cell activation syndrome or retroviruses. But once I clear those, what's next? I don't know. It's but it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just with our, you know, the environment that we're in, you know, people are, you know, increasingly more stressed and challenged. So we're continually, um, you know, finding these, um, you know, new discoveries on how to help people because, um, like you said, uh, some people just get stuck or we don't have the answers for them and we just don't know the questions to ask sometimes or we don't have, you know, the the, the theory yet to uh, try. Um, so, Dave, how do you take care of yourself? You're a busy uh, doctor. I know that you put all of your heart and effort into your patients, and I know with that comes probably long hours and, you know, a lot of patient care. And so how do you take care of yourself? Well, lately I've been uh, trying to test my invention on myself. Uh, yeah, so I do a lot of the my, I guess, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a new name for this process. Uh, I think I might call it uh, reconnective immunotherapy or something like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, thanks. So I'm going to keep playing with that. Maybe I'll come up with a little cute little acronym for, yep. for that. So, <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, most lately, mostly experimenting with that. Um, um, so I test myself regularly with ART, and I just sort of follow what it says I should do. So... You know, if it says I do ionic foot baths twice a week, I do ionic foot baths twice a week. Um, kind, of, kind of walk on my treadmill a couple times a week. I do infrared sauna a couple times a week. Um, in the in the past, when the ART said I was allergic to two dozen foods, I would go on a diet to avoid those two dozen foods. But now it says I can eat almost anything. <laughs> but I'm still trying to follow a healthy diet. Uh, in general, I try to stay to a paleo autoimmune type diet, but definitely not strictly because I'm human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then are you feeling, um, are you feeling uh, better with some of these new therapies you've integrated and are you seeing the results on yourself um, so far? Yeah. Um, certainly with a lot of my, uh, a lot of issues I've been dealing with um, over the years uh, using uh, all the different techniques from Dr. Klinghart and others. They've been helpful, but then I always seem to hit a plateau and sometimes even even regress, and that's always always frustrating. But lately with this uh, reconnective immunotherapy, I've definitely had a huge leap forward. Um, been really it's 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 actually been a couple years since i've had made any progress and this is the one of the first breakthroughs i've had in quite some time so definitely really excited about that as well as you know what looks like the the clearance of my food sensitivities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, i assume i don't know how many layers are left left or how many other unknown questions i have to answer before i finally get to the end but uh, i've been feeling happier i'm sleeping better my mind is clearer uh, feeling more hopeful, just feeling more enthusiastic about life, and I, it's, I get more and more excited uh, with working with patients. And that's one of the beautiful things about ART is that the more, the longer I use it, the more excited I get with what I'm going to find. Uh, it's like a, it's a it's a wonderful gift that Dr. Klinghart has given us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I'm so happy for you um, that you know you're you're seeing that progress. Uh, not only with your patients, but with yourself. And I completely um, agree about um, ART and 
Um, and, you know, David, um, people want to uh, get to know more about you or how do, how do people um, get to learn about you and your practice? Um, can you share with us um, how to reach out to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have a website. Uh, it is www.bridgestohealthatl.com. So that's Bridges T O Health A T L, which stands for Atlanta, where I'm located. dot com. Uh, that gives some basic information uh, about my practice and uh, how to become a patient. Uh, unfortunately, I do have a very long waiting list. Um, uh, you'll find a link to my Facebook page on that website, but it is uh, facebook.com slash bridges to health ATL. And uh, just share some of the latest things that are on my mind. And a lot of times I'll, I'll post things about my latest developments and latest ideas, such as Dr. Navio's uh, recent papers. So uh, people can definitely look there and, and, and learn about some of my my approaches to my current approaches to healing at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to start following you. <laughs> I, yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, join. absolutely. Um, well, I know that you're so busy and I really appreciate um, you taking the time to have this conversation. And I think um, you've really piqued a lot of people's curiosity around your style of medicine and some of these modalities. And, you know, really what my goal for sharing all this um, to our audiences, especially people who are suffering or struggling with a chronic illness, that there are so many um, strategies and modalities um, to heal and regain your health and not to feel um, stuck or hopeless um, if you are not getting the answers you need right now and to find uh, a physician like Dr. O or, you know, one of our colleagues because, um, yeah, I mean, we, we wanted to see more and more people get better. Yep, absolutely. Uh, there's definitely hope out there. There's there's no reason to give up hope. There's lots of answers and lots of people have different parts of the answers and hopefully collectively we'll, we'll have all the information we need uh, to help most everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dave. And I hope to see you again soon. And I so appreciate your time today. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure and I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Dave O. And if you want to learn more about him and his work, it's in the show notes. And I hope to see you again soon.